the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, September 19th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. I mentioned in passing on Friday that it was Mexican Independence Day on Friday and that it was Constitution Day on Saturday this weekend. United States Constitution Day. The day we commemorate or commemorated 235 years of living under the same Constitution and surviving as a constitutional republic through several wars, including a civil war and more than a little domestic upheaval over those 235 years. I pondered, though, given the decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling in this country, to quote John Stuart Mill, that it was likely more would be made of September 16th on behalf of Mexico and Mexican pride than would be made of September 17th on behalf of America's and American pride. I performed a basic test and limited a Google News search of stories to the past week on both Constitution Day and then separately Mexican Independence Day. U.S. Constitution Day did win by five hits, by five stories, about 248 to 252 or three. This isn't the best social science research that can be performed here. But as a blunt instrument, it's telling. They came in pretty close to parody. I looked to see if the president of the United States said anything about Constitution Day, especially as he warns so much that our Constitution is in crisis or alternatively, depending on the fevers, facing an existential threat. To him, that crisis and those threats come from fellow Americans who don't agree with him on issues like energy, taxes, abortion, and other debatable propositions, propositions that is debated on and voted on every day in America with varying outcomes. Floors of state legislatures, floors of the House, Senate in Washington, D.C., none of which, none, zero of which were ever deemed constitutional threats when they were debated and enacted this way or that for the past 233 years, let's say. In other words, to this president, policy differences, rational disputes about policies, constitute tantrums over constitutional threats. To wit, the president did issue an official statement on Constitution Day Saturday, and in it he wrote the following. Let me quote. My administration will do every – this is his Constitution Day proclamation, okay? This is what he's putting in his official proclamation on Constitution Day. Quote. My administration will do everything in our power to uphold and defend our Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to protect the rights and freedoms that it promises us all. That means we have to be firm, resolute, and unyielding in defending the right to vote and ensure that each vote is counted. It is a sacred right from which all others flow. But last year alone, nearly 20 states passed laws to make it harder to vote, not only to suppress the vote, but to subvert it. 
Again, I interrupt myself to say this is a Constitution Day proclamation, and he is now waging political warfare against 20 states that didn't do what he wanted. Okay, let me go back to his proclamation. I have directed federal agencies to promote voting access, and I appointed top civil rights advocates to the Department of Justice, which has doubled its voting rights staff. We need the Congress to finally pass the Freedom to Vote and John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Acts to prevent voter suppression, protect election officials, ban dark money, and end partisan gerrymandering, preserving our democracy and the spirit of our Constitution. Close quote. So arguable public policies, debatable public policies inserted into a Constitution Day proclamation, the intimation of which is if you don't agree with these policies, you are anti-Constitution. Now, on that list of priorities, can anyone name one person in America who tried to actually, in Joe Biden's words, suppress votes or engage in voter suppression? It is, after all, illegal and unconstitutional. And though we did not pass the bill Joe Biden wanted, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which would federalize elections, states in the South, like Georgia, where Joe Biden said not passing it puts one on the side of Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis, and George Wallace, votes reached all-time highs without passing it. More voters voted, opposite of suppression. In other words, voters have been suppressed only in a world where suppression means more voting, just as I suppose suppressing freedom of speech leads to more accuracy and less disinformation and vaccines keep you from getting COVID or getting sick from COVID or gender-affirming care means what affirming means, which is keeping and recognizing the truth. So, of course, on Constitution Day, Joe Biden did what Joe Biden does. He makes a legitimate policy dispute a constitutional threat or crisis, even when his failure to succeed in his policies leads to more of what he says the point of his policies are. It's a total divorce from reality. It's psychological delusion weaponized for political outcome. And just in case you didn't get the message, Joe Biden in his declaration this weekend also wrote, quote, we are living at an inflection point in history, engaged in a struggle between democracy and autocracy at home and abroad, close quote. Leave the abroad part aside for a moment. What autocracy at home is he speaking about? Honestly, I mean, if you want autocracy, it can be found in a lot of areas, perhaps starting with censorship or starting with the government claiming it has a monopoly on truth. Or perhaps it starts with using law enforcement to engage in prior restraint on speech. Or perhaps it starts with using law enforcement to censor unpopular news stories. Perhaps it starts with comparing your domestic political opponents in a two-party system as outside the contours of Americanism and inside the contours of fascism. Perhaps it starts with aggrandizing and irrigating power in the name of public and national emergencies based on ideological objections. Perhaps it starts with group slander, stereotype, lumping all members of one party in opposition to individual cases of extremity that neither party is immune from. Perhaps it starts with weaponizing the notion of our Constitution being at peril because someone may hold a different point of view about the right to life or the right to inject themselves 
with an experimental drug when they have no need for it. Should you think this is unique to Joe Biden, the demonization of legitimate political opposition, also known as having different points of views about things, you are wrong. It is the entire warp and woof of the Democratic Party today. Democratic candidate for Governor Katie Hobbs here in Arizona has tweeted that Republicans are neo-Nazis. And the Democratic Party in the second largest city and county in Arizona said our 4th of July celebration should constitute saying F Independence Day, which is to say F America, except they used the whole word. How about a thought experiment? Just today, the day after Constitution Day weekend, the United States Speaker of the House of Representatives put out this email arriving in my inbox this morning. I quote it directly, quote, hear me loud and clear. These despicable Republicans have tried to eviscerate our health care. They've decimated our reproductive rights. They've raised taxes on struggling families. They've lied cheated and done everything in their power to sabotage our democracy, overturn our last election and sabotage our chances in the next one. So mark my words, I will never, never, in all caps, allow them to get their hands back on our majority again. Close quote. That's your Speaker of the House of Representatives. Take it one by one or take it in totality. Republicans are, her words, despicable. Her words, they lie, cheat, and sabotage our democracy. And her words, she will never, in all caps, allow them to become a majority again. How, after dehumanizing your political opposition, do you define or characterize someone who promises, in all caps, to never let Republicans take power? Perhaps an autocrat? Perhaps a dictator? Perhaps someone who doesn't believe in elections? Perhaps someone who would subvert democracy or the vote, to use Joe Biden's words? I'm not sure if despicable is worse than deplorable, but you see what we are to Democrats. I'm not sure what the moral imperative is to stop despicable liars, cheaters, and saboteurs in this country. But it would seem to me one could argue depriving them of a right to vote or constraining their liberty or even perhaps using emergency measures to prevent a loss of power might be some of those things. I don't know if words and morals mean things, how to conclude otherwise, all the while being told to watch for violence from the right, as it is the most important violence threatening America just now. Folks, this is very dangerous rhetoric, and it is rhetoric that tends to escalate not only distrust, but violence. It is a form not just of gaslighting, but projection, which is a symptom of narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissism is, of course, one of the first attributes of a tyrant or autocrat. And herein lies the danger. As the famous psychiatrist Carl Jung wrote, quote, All projections provoke counterprojection when the object is unconscious of the quality projected upon it by the subject. Close quote. In fact, take a step back and think about it. The whole point of voting, the whole point of a democracy or Republican form of government is to avoid political leadership by violence, isn't it? In the very first Federalist paper, Alexander Hamilton puts it squarely. You can have government by reflection and choice 
or accident and force, his words. Take away reflection via censorship and prior restraint and intimidation, and you remove choice. Demonize the choice of one point of view, and you create the concept of the untermensch, he or she below or beneath society, beneath contempt, beneath legitimacy. One might use the word deplorable or even despicable. But, of course, we are the danger, and we are the ones putting constitutional seriousness and adherence in danger. James Madison wrote that, quote, every word of the Constitution decides a question between power and liberty. You see, as Madison put it in Federalist 51, the keenest understanding of human nature is why we have our Constitution. As he wrote, quote, the interest of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices should be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, he continued, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself, close quote. Today's Democratic Party refuses to understand that we, long ago, 235 years ago, got the recipe right by submitting ourselves to a government in constitutional control of itself via the only way governments can form if they are interested in preserving fundamental rights, that is, by deriving their just powers through the consent of the governed. Today's Democratic Party at the same time refuses to accept those judgments when they conflict with its political outcomes and will not submit to controlling itself. It's still stuck on controlling others. That's not stuck on stupid. That's stuck on peril. It's stuck on power, not liberty, as James Madison warned. And maybe, just maybe, instead of partisan fulminations and attacks on Constitution Day, we should have been given a little more James Madison. Then again, maybe, just maybe, our schools should take up the study of James Madison once again. Then we might be able to stave off what C.S. Lewis warned about so many years ago. He wrote, by starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandist when he comes. There are an awful lot of propagandists among us just now, many of them leading our country in Washington, D.C., and we are all so much the easier prey for them. That does not bode well, and it cannot bode well. Not if you prefer liberty to power, anyway. I'm Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by great people. They are investors who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that 
too. What they're offering up is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or you can give them a call at 855-316-3087. They're a local company. Uh, You can meet with them. They uh, won't give you a sales pitch. They'll just tell you what it is that they do and let it speak for itself. You know, once in a while, I like to give you cues on how the mainstream or corporate media does their propagandizing. And uh, I, as you know, sometimes like to watch the uh, mainstream media's morning shows, CBS Mornings, for example. And uh, 60 Minutes interviewed Scott Pelley of 60 Minutes, did a long interview with Joe Biden Sunday night, last night. And, of course, it being CBS, they were doing a reprise, you know, um, endless loop, if you will. And they were doing a reprise of, uh, of that interview. And they played a quote from Scott Pelley and an answer from President Joe Biden this morning, this morning on the CBS uh, Mornings show. The quote, and I'm reading from the transcript directly from Scott Pelley, and this has to do with the Mar-a-Lago raid from Scott Pelley. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? President Joe Biden. How that could possibly happen? How anyone could be that irresponsible? And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, etc., And it's just totally irresponsible. So you understand the question and you understand the answer that CBS Mornings played, right? Scott Pelley is asking Joe Biden what he thought of that picture that we've all seen of those documents and Joe Biden expressing his amazement, leading you to believe what? That that's how how Donald Trump kept the files, right? That's exactly what they want you to believe. And it's an amazing thing because even the New York Times has said that That was a made-up display by the FBI. Yeah, everyone now knows this. Why would CBS be doubling down on the fact that that's how Donald Trump was keeping the files? Well, well, if you go to the 60 Minutes transcript, may I give you the question Scott Pelley asked Joe Biden and his answer right before what you saw on CBS Mornings? Here it is. Scott Pelley. Were you notified of the FBI's execution of a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago? President Joe Biden. No, not ahead of time. The FBI spread the documents out on the floor to make a record of what was found. Joe Biden said it before CBS Mornings cut it out and made it look like this was how Donald Trump was keeping the files. This is how they do it. You can trust nothing. Nothing that the mainstream media puts out. But that's how they do it. That's how they warp and shape minds, which warps and shapes our politics. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Little Joe Walsh there. Life's been good to me. John Dombrowski can make life good for you. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He has his own radio show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth, and he brings us our culture and economy update. John, happy Monday. 
Same to you, Seth. Thank you. I want to, John, if I can, ask you about uh, some interesting news. I think it's interesting news having to do with home builders. But before I do that, mm-hmm. can you put together a couple headlines for me? Um, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal. One is Treasury yields hit decade high. And then the next headline is rise in bond yields is changing the calculus for stocks. What 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 is this telling us? Treasury yields hit decade high. And what is the uh, what is the effect or the calculus on stocks? So the tre- Treasury yield, obviously, this is what uh, the government lends. They, they, they want to borrow money. Right? right. And they're willing to pay an interest rate for that. And you right. can buy Treasury bonds. Uh, and uh, you can get an interest rate for that. Uh, and they usually have a what's called a duration on them, which is the time that it takes for that bond to come uh, to its maturity, mm-hmm. at which time the federal government will pay you back your money. So if it's a 10-year treasury, which is what they're talking about, I believe, in this mm-hmm. article that you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, it's right around that 3.5% right. rate right now, yep. which I think they said is uh, – uh, a 10 or a 15 year high, you know, depending yep. on uh, the time that uh, it, it hit those rates in the well, past. Well, you know your stuff. <laughs> 3.48. Uh, you don't get three, closer to 3.48. 3. 3. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 3.489. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. 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 So then, um, on top of that, you have uh, this this issue when it comes to stocks. What's the relationship between the bonds and stocks? When we talk about a diversified portfolio, we've, we've talked about this many times, yep. how in a rising interest rate environment, uh, bond values traditionally deteriorate because uh, short, you know, the lower rate uh, bondholders uh, don't make as much as the newer rate bondholders. So your lower rate bond is worth less. But what's happening now when it comes to the stock market is, is as these rates are rising to, to, to levels to where people may feel comfortable getting 3.5% for 10 years on an investment, uh, they may say, you know what, the stock market's a little too volatile for me right now. It's a little too risky for me right now. So I'm willing to give up holding stocks and bonds with the hope that I'm going to make X number of you know percent rate of return on my money. And I'm nervous, and I want to put it into bonds right now because I can get 3.5%. Right. Right? So that's kind of what I believe this article was talking okay. about here. Okay. Is uh, That's that, that relationship between stocks and bonds, and that's what maybe bonds are going to be giving stocks a little bit of a, a challenge yeah, right yeah, now yeah, for a yeah. while. Yeah. But once the market option. turns, though, Seth, yep. then all of a sudden people are going to say, well, gosh, I'm only getting 3.5% <laughs> on my bond. <laughs> right. And the stock market went up 10 15% yeah, this year. Right? right. So, But you have that's why balance of a portfolio is important, and that's why sometimes working with an advisor to help you build that portfolio uh, tailored to what your needs are is important. Absolutely. Thank you, John. You and bet. That, that, that's you. Now, uh, on this other issue that's kind of interesting on home building, I'm reading a story at CNBC about home builders lowering prices. Let me give you two sentences from the story that I think tell the pic- paint the picture. Okay. Builders continue to report elevated construction construction costs in addition to higher interest rates weighing on the market. Higher costs for land, labor, and materials have made it harder for builders to lower prices, but they are being forced to. Yes. Okay. Yes. So what's basically happening, right, is we're we're seeing interest rates rise. We're seeing it uh, making it harder for now uh, maybe many Americans to afford uh, the payment that would come with a 6% interest rate on a mortgage versus 3% at the beginning of this year. Uh, that interest rate difference is, uh, you know, not necessarily doubling the payment, 
but the interest expense on that is doubled, so that payment is going up proportionately as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sometimes, depending on someone trying to qualify for a loan, is going to make all the difference in the world, right? That yep. extra $100 or $200 or $300 yeah, a month sure. in, pay, in a payment. Sure. That now they can't afford that home because they can't get a loan on it. Their numbers just don't drive. So I would say for those out there who are looking to purchase homes right now, it's important, number one, to have good credit yep. because it's going to be that much more uh, you know, stringent for these lenders. They're going to be critical as yep. to who they're lending money to. Yep. Uh, so that's number one, have good credit. Number two is just to try to maintain a low amount of debt in relationship to the amount of income you have because it's an income debt ratio yep. that they uh, the lenders will lend money against. Mm-hmm. So try to uh, understand that. Number two, if you're going to buy a home, thinking about buying a home, get a pre-qualification letter so you know how much you can afford before you go looking at you know homes out of your price range. Uh, but when it comes to the builders, this is the challenge they have now, right? Because there's less buyers right now because of the higher rates. People are nervous about what's going on in the economy, so maybe they're pulling back a little bit here. But the builders have started these projects, Seth. They've got inventory. Uh, The labor costs, as you said, are going up. The cost of the materials, the cost of land – all of these things are cost, you know, causing rate, uh, causing the cost of building to go higher, and now there's less buyers. It's kind of a, a bit of a quandary for the builders. So what do they need to do is they start to try to give incentives, whether they're buying down interest rates for the buyers. That's a way to help them qualify for loans. Or maybe they're going to be giving in some of the amenities. You know, we're throwing in X number of dollars towards uh, flooring or X number of dollars towards a kitchen, whatever it might be, or free landscaping, whatever they're going to do in order to try to get people to buy homes. Uh, It's an interesting uh, time. We've seen this before. It's not going to last forever, but it could be that opportunity that some people were looking for uh, to get to get in, uh, you know, to get into a home. John, thank you very much. Well done. (laughs) Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, recipient and investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank Thank you, you, John. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years. Today, it remains a common sense investment that's simple and straightforward and is a great hedge against inflation and protection of your investments and your future. If you're in the market for gold or other precious metals, use the only precious metal dealer I use, Seb Gorka uses, and thousands of you already use and trust. That's the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. They're veteran-owned, proud supporters of America First, and this show right here, allowing us to communicate in the first place. If you're interested in talking with them about precious metals in your portfolio, check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com, or give them a call at 480-360-3000. It's 480-360-3000. Victor Davis Hansen has a piece over at American Greatness on equal justice. It's a phrase I've always been fascinated with. Uh, Many of you know that uh, I grew up kind of studying the law before I, you know, ultimately went to law school. I was just fascinated by law lawyers. Maybe it was Hollywood. Maybe it was the movies. Maybe it was things like uh, Atticus Finch or maybe the movie... um, Maybe, uh, maybe you know, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, or maybe the movie Rope, or some such like that. 
uh, Anatomy of a Murder. Great movie that I remember shaped a lot of my thinking. And so I remember one of my first trips to Washington with my dad. I guess on my very first trip to Washington with my dad, we went to the Supreme Court. And above the Supreme Court are the letters equal justice under law. That's what's etched into the stone at the opening of it. There's a Greek word for that I would learn later. Um, that Greek word for equal justice under law is isonomia. Isonomia. And Victor Davis Hansen uses that word in his column today. And it's just a fascinatingly good column. He asks, does isonomia, equal justice under law, still exist in Joe Biden's America? And he says, in many ways, no. Do both the state and private vendettas, as well as state efforts to destroy rather than merely defeat political opponents? He asks, is the law equally applied at the border? Ask yourself whether you are more likely to be hounded by the federal government for not being vaccinated if you are a U.S. citizen in the U.S. military or illegally violating federal immigration law as you storm the southern border. Who needs a passport to leave and enter the United States, a citizen or an illegal alien? If you nullify federal law and refuse to hand over a detained illegal alien to federal immigration agents, are you more or less likely to be prosecuted than someone who likewise deliberately seeks to nullify federal law by bulldozing on his property a nest of federally protected squirrels? What tradition of Western jurisprudence allows violent criminals in America's largest cities to be released upon being booked? What law states they are instantly free to commit more crimes without worry of incarceration or punishment while those accused of illegally parading sit in jail for years awaiting charges? Is it a greater crime in this republic to walk peacefully through an open door into the Capitol or at least some who were charged as a result of January 6th did or to beat to near death an innocent bystander as many do who are released after arrest? As far as that reprehensible, buffoonish January 6th riot, compare the treatment accorded to those hundreds, many guilty of, quote, illegal parading or demonstrating in the Capitol, with some 14,000 people who were arrested in 120 days of rioting, looting, arson, assault, and murder during the spring and summer 2020 riots. Did the FBI spend over a year tracking down the names of those known from videos who torched federal buildings, murdering people in the street, sought to storm the White House grounds and set up no-go zones in the various downtowns of our major cities? To incite the January 6th riot was prosecuted as a crime, but Kamala Harris, who was soon to be a vice presidential candidate in the summer of 2020, could incite with impunity even more. She helped raise bail for violent offenders during those riots and said of the summer-long protests shortly after the violent attempt to storm the White House grounds, they're not going to stop, they're not going to stop, and this is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop, and everyone beware because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop before Election Day, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. Everyone should take note of that. They're not going to let up, and they should not. What do those who had recently torched the historic St. John's Episcopal Church take away from Harris's adolescent greenlighting? After all, Harris essentially promised continue protests, which she knew had so often turned terribly violent and descended into death and destruction. 
Were her insurrectionary calls a crime or at least worthy of a cell phone grab? A leg iron? A squad of FBI vehicles swarming her car? Is questioning an election outcome a crime or even taking steps to challenge the election? That is, did John Eastman have the power of former Senator Barbara Boxer and current January 6th Committee Chairman Benny Thompson, who with no evidence took far more dramatic measures in 2004 to reject the Ohio electors and thus attempt to nullify that year's presidential election results? Did Stacey Abrams undermine democracy by touring the country, denying she had been beaten in the Georgia gubernatorial election by some 50,000 votes? Did Hillary Clinton again undermine election integrity when she publicly urged Joe Biden not to concede the 2020 election if he lost the popular vote or claim that Donald Trump was not the legitimate president of the United States? Does Article 88 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice apply to some, none, or all retired high-ranking military officers? What are we to make of retired lieutenant colonels who urged the military well before the 2020 election to remove Trump from office if they thought he would question the election? When generals and admirals called their commander-in-chief a Mussolini-type character, a liar, like the Nazis, akin to architects of Auschwitz, or wrote that the sooner the better he should be removed, were those violations to be prosecuted? Did retired officers have their businesses or employers' contracts with the Pentagon nullified? Or was it only a more obscured retired officer, such as one Lieutenant General Gary Valesky, who you probably have never heard of? He was a conservative who tweeted that the First Lady, not the Commander-in-Chief, the First Lady, sounded hypocritical on the issue of abortion and thus was fired as a Pentagon consultant. Was that equal administrative administration of justice? Folks, we live in bizarro world, and isonomia is at discount. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, brought to you in part by the good people at Balance of Nature. I take Balance of Nature fruits and veggies every single day. It boosts my energy, my overall health, as well as my immunity. I guess part of my overall health as well. I take it every single day. It's the best product I've ever taken. It is 100% natural, made of pure, potent plant power. That's all it is. It's just fruits and veggies. No added sugar, no added sweeteners, no added anything. Thing. From the capsules to the ingredients, you're getting a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables surged right into your system. Just take it once a day and you are good to go. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. Say, uh, you mentioned earlier about the 60 Minutes yeah, interview with right. Pres- President Biden. I-, I picked up on one other thing. I have pretty good medical background in doing questioning of people and stuff. And the interviewer asked him specifically, he said some people in the country are questioning him as his ability to be president about his physical health. Yeah. And, pres- and President Biden added, oh, well, I'm this and I'm that and I have real good mental health. Uh, there's a difference, of course, obviously your brain is part of your body, but in physical health, it's, you know, your muscles, your bones, your overall health. And then there's a different category of mental health. And it, it, in a way, it's almost indicative of, I'm not sure what the word would be, but it, maybe we could even call it a, an 
an admission of guilt? Why, when he was asked about his physical health, did he answer it saying, uh, answering of about his mental health? And I just I, I take the point, and uh, even on the mental health thing, Mike, you'd probably agree with me. It's in many respects just a silly question of Scott Pelley's to even give him a platform to answer, because do you know any medical experts that would think a patient not in control of his faculties, non-compassmentis, someone in um, mental decline, would be anywhere near the first 500 people qualified to answer that question? The person who is the subject of a mental question is uniquely incapable of answering that question on behalf of themselves. If you want to get an answer to this question, make Joe Biden's doctor available to the American press. They did it with Donald Trump. They ought to do it with Joe Biden, too. Thank you, Mike. I'm Seth Leibson, the great Brandon Weikert, coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.